You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at Clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled, shall we? And get this show started. Before we dive into the episodes, I want to just do a little bit of housekeeping. You know we do special series on this show all the time, like we have the Handicast, and we have Cripology, and different things that I like to throw in there occasionally just for fun, and then great flicks and joysticks and stuff like that. Well, I want to let you know that Heather and I over at Handy have been working on some really cool different things, and coming up over the next, I would say, month or so, you're going to be hearing more about Handy on this show. You're going to hear more Handicasts. We have some some special things coming up. You're going to hear some totally different stuff about Handy than you were expecting really soon. So stay tuned for that and stay tuned for the bonus stuff. I really like the idea of turning this podcast into like a variety channel. I really have been watching other creators and, you know, people have said to me, Andrew, you should do a YouTube channel. You should do 
you should do a channel where you can do different stuff and different kind of episodes. And so I can't do a YouTube channel because of accessibility reasons and it's really hard for me to do all that with my disabilities. But I can do this with the show. So thank you for being there while I try out different formats, different shows, different kinds of things on this feed. I really, really appreciate it. But stay tuned for big, big news about Handy coming soon. Just one quick piece of housekeeping. If you want to support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledging as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month if that works for your budget. Or you can even do a yearly spend if that works for you too. And that I would really appreciate it. And if you do that, you get the show, the Saturday show, one day early on Friday. And then you get a weird, awkward, sexy shout out for me. So if you want to support the show, I would really appreciate it. But if you can't, please consider leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. And let us know how we're doing. And let us know how we can improve and do better and do different things and just help get this show up in the up in the ranks we would really appreciate it but now let's actually get to today's show my original plan for the show today was to do a spoopy episode all about like disability and horror and that kind of stuff but then my life became a horror and i had to go to the er to deal with some gi ibs gut fun so upon recording, I'm too exhausted to do all that, and I feel really bad about not being able to produce that for you now. That was that was the plan. But what I'm actually going to do now is release an, an episode that I recorded back in May um, with my friend Jonas Sanderson, who is a Jewish chaplain in Los Angeles, and we talk about his experience with learning disabilities and what that meant for him and how his disabilities and his Judaism come together and so many different things happen in this episode. It was really, really nice to talk with him and really, really fun to learn about his experience. Um, I, As a fellow Jewish person, it was really nice to sit down with him and, and learn some things and talk about stuff and understand how he views the world as a Jewish person with disabilities. Um, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode. So without further ado, here is my episode with Chaplain Yona Sanderson, right now on Disability After Dark. Yona Sanderson, hello. Hello, Shalom, Andrew. Nice to talk to you. So nice to talk to you too. Thank you very much for coming on Disability After Dark today. How are you? I'm well, thank God. I'm really well. Just coming out of a good rally for Israel and our people. Uh, yesterday we went, uh, my family and I, in the Beverly Hills community in Los Angeles to support Israel. Uh, amazing. Amazing. So for, the, for anybody who's listening who wants to know who you are, can you introduce yourself to us a little bit? Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do? Sure. So I'm uh, Chaplain Yonah Sanderson. I am a Chabad uh, supporter and Chabad Jew. Uh, Chabad in Hebrew stands for Wisdom, Insight, and Understanding, Hachma, Bina, and Das. And I am a chaplain ordained in the Jewish community. And I work directly in Jewish outreach and suicide prevention. And I also happen to have a nonverbal learning disorder. Cool. Tell me a little, there's a, there was a lot to unpack there in the first sentence. Wow. Tell me a little bit more about, about your, well, okay. Tell me how 
your disabilities impact your day to day? Sure. So when I was born, I'm 32 and I was born in September of 1988 and I had a seven week stint in the NICU, the neonatal ICU, because I came out a month early and that was very traumatic because I was poked and I was prodded. And I also had um, a series of misfortunes when I was a child. Uh, one of them being, I went to a non-Jewish day school. I'm an, I'm an observant Jew, what we call Orthodox Jew. Um, and I went to a non-Jewish day school because when I was nine, I was diagnosed, misdiagnosed, actually with the wrong learning disability. So I wow. have, yeah. So that happened because when I was, it was 25 years ago, the, the community, the disabled community didn't know about nonverbal learning disabilities. And really what I have is a processing issue. So it takes me a little longer to process um, math and reading and writing. And it took me a little longer to adapt to certain situations around me. But when I was a child at nine, they didn't have any of that. They didn't know that. And so I went to, with my parents, the Los Angeles Regional Center. And that was a, at the time, the largest funding body to get your kid into uh, a specialized school. Yeah. And they said, no, you can be either mildly mentally retarded. You could have mild Down syndrome, mild autism or mild cerebral palsy. So your disability doesn't exist. Jonah, you are mildly retarded. Now here's your funding. Go away. Oh wow! <laughs> oh no, that's so that's so not how we do it now. <laughs> but you're totally right. You're totally right that um that's how many of the, of the systems still work in the U.S. I mean, we're getting better, but a lot of I remember when I was looking to move to the U.S. about ten years ago, we were looking to move me into a place with care, and they said, "Well, is your son?" They said to my mom, is your son mildly retarded? And she goes, no, he's totally cognitively fine, but he has CP. And they were like, well, if he's fine, then we can't provide him care. And she was like, but it's very like, no. So it's it's upsetting that only certain levels of disability are included. And how, how did, first of all, let's go back to you being misdiagnosed. How did that, like, we know that this happens all the time. And I talk to guests all the time who are misdiagnosed with the wrong type of disability. How did, do you remember how that made you feel at all when you were going through that? Sure. I mean, it was, there was never a malicious intent. And I, you know, I, I come from a very, you know, um, loving and um, very inclusive family. And so I really didn't understand how to feel at that point. I know at 32 that, you know, there was no fault in this. This was just the way that it was meant to be. I was meant to have this journey. Um, I believe in God and I believe that we all are predestined to experience what we experience. And it's what we do with those experiences after they're given to us that really make us who we are. Yeah. And I completely agree. Um, so, but, so tell me a bit more about the journey of going from a misdiagnosis to, to being told your disability doesn't fit to when did it come to you that that you this is what you had sure so um i remember my mother would tell a story 
um, and you know, she told it differently than I'm going to tell it. But even before nine, when I was five, I went to a family wedding and um, I was the ring bearer and my sister was the flower girl. And um, you know, I have one younger sister, she's a psychologist. And um, so we were, uh, she was a flower girl, I was the ring bearer. And there was, you know, a good amount of people there, let's say a few hundred people. Um, and the ring bearer is supposed to be cute, you know, supposed to walk and have, carry the ring and just supposed to do that. Yeah. And, um, I had no idea, we had no idea that I had a disability at that moment, but I stopped halfway down the aisle with the ring in my hand and looked at the most overweight man I could find in the room and smiled and screamed, Ben! And everybody stopped to stare at me. And my mother thought, why is he doing that, right? Like, is there something wrong? Because he's supposed to do this and it's supposed to lead him to this. He did that and stopped there. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there were little things like that. Um, and the new, that, that speaks to nuances, right? And social nuances. Yeah. Um, and, you know, then when I was diagnosed and I got the disability diagnosis, I was sent to a school called the Help Group. And the Help Group is the largest um, funding provider and uh, specialized day school system in California. And I was the only student in a school of, let's say, 500 to 1,000 kids who all had autism. I was the only one without autism because that's what the label said that I, you know, that's where I belonged, wrongly, yeah. right? So I remember. Um, being in school with people that were vastly different from me and having a lot of friends, but being more empathetic than they were and being able to understand, um, you know, their flight, you know, their plights and their emotions um, even better than they were understanding them. Yeah. And I remember feeling like I was a caged animal at some points because what we would have, you know, it's like walking into the zoo and seeing the drafts, right? Oh, that's so nice. Oh, look at that cute, uh, you know, draft. And that would translate into, oh, look at those kids with disabilities, right? Look at these kids. Look at they're them doing so-, so good. Look at the, yeah, yeah. Right. And then I would, and then after, you know, and then the, the you know, the, the, the lion would eat the giraffe and you would have something to talk about. You know, then the kid with, you know, uh, with, uh, uh, with autism would run. And so then the staff would chase him down and put a needle in his arm. And you would, you know, you would think, oh, my God, this is crazy. And look at how that, you know, look how we're being viewed. But because I didn't understand myself at that point, and I wasn't really able to understand my background and my needs, yeah. I lived inside of my body for about maybe 17 years, 13 to 17 years. Sorry, say that one more time. You cut out a little bit there. You so, Is it better now? Yeah. So because I wasn't able to understand myself, and I was a, I was living inside of a system, but living outside of my own body. I was really living, um, but not living for about 13 years. That's, that's hard. That's, that's, I mean, and I think for people with invisible disabilities and disabilities that don't present with the particular marker, I think it can be extremely difficult because you don't, you don't fit anywhere. You don't fit in this place. You don't fit in this place. And they're trying to give you a label to get you support but that label doesn't always fit. I can imagine that that probably made you feel super ostracized. I never felt ostracized until I was in high school. 
Um, I went from a school for children with autism to a school for children with special needs in general. And um, I, you know, was told by many professionals that at some point I would only, I would never be able to get married. would never be able to have a family, drive a car, own a home. Professional. Wow. They just told you that straight up. We're like, you're not going to be able to ever do this. Yeah. They said at best um, I would, you know, um, probably end up bagging groceries at the local five and dime. Jesus, that's what they told you. That's what they said. Wow. I mean, we hear this all the time, but I've never heard somebody tell me that someone told them that as directly as you did. Like, and Do you remember, how did that make you feel when they told you that this was your life? I mean, my first gut reaction at the time, because I was more able to cognitively understand it, was to say, well, you think this, screw you, I'm going to do this, yeah. right? And I didn't know it at that point, but that was really the God spark in me saying, you know, I'm put here for a purpose. We all have a destiny, right? We all have, you know, the, the Torah, our blueprint for life as Jews, says that the world is our stage and with and we're in a show, we're actors, right? And so uh, every piece of the stage puzzle needs an actor. And if one of that, if one of those actors is missing, then there is no show. The show doesn't look the same, right? So I knew uh, that something was there. I just didn't know how to, you know, how to put a, uh, my finger on it. Yeah. You know, I was also tired of being labeled because labels are for food, right? They're not for people. Labels don't help anybody with anything. They actually, more studies show more and more that the more you label somebody, the less you help them and the more we hurt them. I can understand that. I think that sometimes that I think for me anyway, at least in my experience with disability, self-labeling and choosing the the words that I want to use to describe myself. um, That to me is important, but I totally agree with you that when somebody else from another community tacks on a label to you, that can be super damaging and dangerous and isn't, is, is not helpful at all really. But I, and I can fully appreciate that Um, because I'm also Jewish. I was so excited to talk about this with you because I'm, I don't practice lots. I, I'm Jewish from more of like a, like, oh, there's latkes and I love them. Like, that's, I mean, we never practiced when I was a kid, but I'd love to know from you kind of a little bit. I'm going to switch, I'm going to switch off the questions here. I wanted to ask about, like, tell me a little bit about what it was like navigating your Jewish faith, your Jewish faith. And can you speak a little bit about how being Jewish informs your experience of disability at all? Sure. Uh, Being Jewish informs my entire life. And I didn't understand it, even though I grew up Jewishly. um, I didn't understand that Jewish informed my entire life until I became 22. I was a high school dropout. I couldn't pass a California math test. And um, I was aimless for a very long time. And it got to a point where I was, um, I hit a bottom. And drug addicts, when they hit a bottom, substance abuse addicts, they actually go through recovery and they go through a period of, of, of self-affirmation. And I was blessed to have that. And at 22, I sat with my father and I said to him, you know, my life isn't going anywhere. And I don't have a high school diploma. I don't know what I'm going to do for, you know, with my life. Yeah, I'm driving a car. And actually the story behind driving a car was everybody in my high school at that point was driving. And I said, I'll be 
darned if I don't drive. So I went every day to study every Saturday. This was before I kept the Sabbath and kept observant laws. Yeah. And I the DMV and I, I, I broke the record, Andrew, for the number of times taken the written permit test in California. Nobody broke that record until I did. I took it 16 times. Wow, that's awesome. Every time I kept failing and I didn't understand it. And I had test anxiety and didn't really get why. And on the 16th time I went in, the nice man behind the counter slid me a test. And what do you think was on the test? Can you guess? I don't know. Did he, did he, was, was, did he give you the answers? He gave me the answers to every single question. <laughs> and they were all right. So I just said, screw this. I'm going to take this test illegally, right? Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, to go on another tangent for one second, you know, people with disabilities have to use loopholes in their life. Of course they do. You you pull, yes, yes. All the time, every day. Yes, yes. And the truth of the matter is, I have no regrets in using any loopholes that I've used. Because if we don't want people to use loopholes, then let's not create societies in which we have to use them, right? Yeah. So would I use them again? No. Would I use different ones if I had to? Sure. So I did that. Um, and back to the Jewish piece of this. Um, I was 22. I sat with my father and I said, you know, the only thing that I can think of is, is I want to become a rabbi. And um, there is a part of Orthodox, more observant Judaism that is called the Chabad sect, and they are doing Jewish outreach. And so there's inreach where you go to a synagogue, a temple, and maybe you go twice a year, right? Maybe you go on Rosh Hashanah, the high holiday, Yom Kippur, the fast day. Yeah. And then there is what I became a part of, which is called the Chabad Lubavitch movement. And that started in white Russia in the 1800s, or late 1700s, early 1800s. And that was a movement of, of, of Hasidic Jews, men with big beards and kipot and sitsis, the strings that we wear out of our uh, garments if we're men and um, women that cover their hair and they light Shabbos candles and we, you know, we do Jewish outreach and we actually come and we take people off the street. We take them into our homes on the Sabbath and we come and we put tefillin on Jewish men, the phylacteries. And um, I said to him, I'm going to learn this and become a Chabad rabbi. And he said, go ahead. You know, I can't think of anything more wonderful than for you to embrace your Judaism. And so I went and I embraced Judaism. And because of my embracing of Judaism, I actually went back and I got a high school diploma and a college degree and a master's degree. Oh, uh, <laughs> wow. That's so fantastic. Like, um, did you, now just to tie it back into disability for a second, did you find, did you find that doing all of like, how do you find the Jewish faith handles and talks about disability or do so they? I think it's something, it's a good question. I think something we need to speak more about, we need to speak more openly about. The Torah says, our document, we have five books of Moses. Moses was the leader of the Jewish people. He led them from slavery to freedom. And that's our Passover narrative, right? Yeah. Uh, the Torah says that every human is created, which means in the image of God, right? And that's not just the Jews. That's every human being, black, white, Hispanic, 
Muslim, Asian. Um, and so if we're all created Beit Salem Elohim, then we have to go a step further and we have to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, right? Yeah. And it's harder for us because when we look at somebody in a wheelchair and we look at somebody who has autism or who has developmental retardation, intellectual disabilities, we look at them and say, how can we love them if they can't even verbalize love back? Or how can we love them if they don't understand our basic principles, even though they're the same person, even though they're Jewish as well, right? Yeah. And so I found that it was easier for me, but harder for others, right? And so the type of outreach that I do is take everybody and say, if we're all created in God's image and in the image of one God, why aren't I having you at my Shabbos table? Why aren't I teaching with you and learning from you? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that is a great philosophy. I wonder, do you have any, like, do you have any stories of how, of like you taking in somebody with a disability for the, for this, for the, the Sabbath and for all those things? Did you, would you bring somebody to your table and say like? Sure. So I have uh, done a lot of outreach with the queer community. Um, and I've actually raised, you know, tens of thousands of dollars uh, and supported Jewish LGBTQ people. And uh, one of them that I support and uh, who came to our program in California and Los Angeles um, is a transgender father of, I think, four children. And he, became, he was an, he's an Orthodox Jew and he became, uh, he, he transitioned. And he also has um, a physical disability um, and uh, a, 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 an emotional challenge. And I learned more from this man than I can learn from, than I learned from anybody in that last, in the year that we uh, spent together in COVID and before, so a few years. And I believe that, you know, if we only have the same people in our lives, if we only interact with people um, that are like us, we're actually going against God. Yeah, I can totally, totally see that. Can you, can, are you able to share more of what you learned from working with this person? Sure. Um, you know, I learned a lot about trans advocacy and I learned a lot about pronouns and I actually adopted a better way, I think the best way of using pronouns, which is that one of the things we're experiencing now, and I think you probably understand this too, is that we're experiencing a lot of political di uh, political diversity, right? Yeah. Do you experience that? Yes, <laughs> all the time. So what's one way you experience the political uh, diversity in your community? Uh, uh, there's a lot of disability infighting. There's a lot of, um, you know, what is, what is the appropriate language to use? What is the right way to be a disability activist? And so that and after the presidency of Donald Trump and in the presidency of Donald Trump, um, you know, I consider myself a lifelong George W. Bush Republican, meaning that I'm an old school Republican. I believe in compassionate conservatism. And what happened within the four years uh, of Donald Trump was everybody on the left became an ultra, an uber advocate for gay and lesbian and bisexual and transgender and queer rights. But that's not to say 
that we weren't that way before. We were, we always have been. If we're doing this right, then we've always been um, advocates and allies with the queer community. Now, the poisonous toxicity comes into play when we say that the only people that can use pronouns are gay people. The only people that can use pronouns and talk about their sexuality and in the LGBTQ world are people that identify as queer. And that's not only wrong, that's dangerous. Yeah. So my use of pronouns, and I do use them, he, him, and his, is that I use pronouns to ally and to uh, take the stress and toxicity away from situations, right? Yeah. But we have to be honest, which is to say, we have to educate positively. And so much of the queer community, um, they're afraid of positive education because they think that people are out to get them. And that's a, a myth we need to debunk. And how... And do you think that this kind of need for positive um, education translates into how we educate about disability too? Yes, because I remember actually being in a room in a Jewish outreach setting with somebody who was a leader in one of these houses and the organization uh, is Moishi House. And that's a pluralistic version of where I come from, which is Chabad. And... Um, the idea was there was a guy there and he had a brother who had autism, has autism. And he kept saying, my autistic brother this and my autistic brother this and that. And I one day came to him and I said, you know, if we're gonna talk about people with pronouns and we're gonna be so much, you know, we're gonna be radically inclusive, please stop saying my autistic brother. And how about if we say my brother who has autism? Because what we really need to do is say, we own our disabilities. Our disabilities do not own us. I can I can agree with parts of that. I also think that the way... See, this is where some of the division happens, I think, because so much of disability is such a personal narrative and so much of the language we, we choose to ascribe to disability is so, again, so personal. So I think I understand for you where that comes from. And I also understand... I understand where, why he might say my brother, my autistic brother. Um, but I, what I'm hearing in that is that we, all of us need to sit down and have a real serious conversation about how language, language impacts disability, language impacts all of us. Yes. Um, I... Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please, you. Um, I was just answering you. But tell me more about like, I want to shift gears for a minute. Tell me a little bit about, um, do you know any of the history of how Judaism and disability are, are linked? Is there anything that you can share about that? Sure. So I think it's back to what we said before, which is that everybody is created in the Torah in Genesis. Um, Adam came from the flesh of Eve as Eve came from the flesh of Adam. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And when God created the first human being, what God did is he created a human being and then he created the counterpart. And so actually the language for disabilities are the language for all abilities. That's the same, which is we need to be very comfortable saying that if we're all created in God's divine image, right, then everything that we do 
needs to mirror that. And there are two Torahs. Um, there, are, there is the oral Torah, which is the, the, the law tradition, and the Hebrew for that is Alaha. And there is the written Torah, which is the five books of Moses, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Devarim, Deuteronomy, right? And um, the, in the oral Torah, the Talmudic tradition, which is our laws, where we get the why we wear the kippah, where we get the why women cover their heads when they get married, um, we see that there is a blessing, a bracha, blessing in Hebrew is bracha, and the word uh, bracha comes from the word brecha, which means a wellspring, a water spring, yeah. and a blessing for seeing somebody who is um, not like you, who was created in God's image, but who was created in a way that you would define as other. And the t- uh, context of that blessing is, blessed be you, God of the universe, creator of the universe, who made this beautiful creation something that I wouldn't have normally seen, right? And the, there's beauty in everybody. Yeah, yeah. And I like that. I like the idea of giving someone who you would normally see, which is a lot of us with disabilities, or you would normally interact with, a, a blessing to just be like, I see you. That's almost like what that's saying. It's like, I see you. Um, to, I want to shift gears away from religion just for a hot second. And I want to ask you just generally as a disabled person, what is one thing about your disability that you love or some things about your disability that you love? And then some things you would rather do without. I wouldn't do without anything, actually. And uh, I think when we say do without, we're going against God because God created us and we don't want to insult God. So I would not do without anything. I love every part of me. Um, I'm one of the most outgoing people. Um, I am very social and I tap into empathy. And I guess later on in the podcast, we'll talk about the work I do in suicide prevention and what I, and the organization that I help create. Yes. And so because of all of that, I would not change a single thing. I like that. Um, okay. So which, what parts of your disability experience do you super, are you super like in tune with? Do you, what parts of your disability experience do you enjoy? Just love being in the community and showing people that, you know, people can achieve, right? People can achieve. I mean, my own mother once said to me, I don't know if you're going to be anything else other than a grocery, you know, uh, clerk. And it's, she didn't say that maliciously. She said, I don't know. And I said, I do know. And now my mother and I have one of the greatest relationships a, father, a mother and son can have. And she's looking forward to grandchildren. Um, and, you know, I still can't believe they sat you down and told you that you, I still can't believe that somebody looked you in the face and said, you're not going to have a job. You're not going to drive. You're not going to get married. You're not going to like, that's that. <laughs> wow. I, I, again, there's no malicious. There's nothing. There's no evil intent. I don't believe, it. you know, when we, when we label something, what we end up doing, and I know why we label, right. And you said it beautifully, which is, you know, we can own our own labels, right. You know, fad and queer, those were labels given to queer community members. And then, you know, somewhere in the last 20 to 30 years, your community has taken that and made ownership of it, right? Turned it from a negative to a positive. Um, I, when I was told that I wouldn't be able to do those things, it was because people didn't know what to do, right? People are more small-minded and lacking of nuance than they know, right? And that's not a 
bad thing. That's actually a positive thing because it's our job as people that are, you know, out there talking about these issues to actually give another narrative. Yep. Yep. I, I agree. Um, I want to ask you about when you were doing all this training to, to kind of embrace your Judaism and do all this stuff, how did you find it in terms of the, the work you had to do in terms of accessibility for your processing disabilities and all the disabilities you live with? How did you find doing all that as a disabled person? Sure. So um, I would like to change the narrative on your podcast. I'm not a disabled person. I'm a person who has a disability. Oh, yes, right. Sorry. Yes. Person with disability, um, yes. By the way, we should never apologize because we live and we learn. Um, I went to a, a chaplaincy school called the Academy for Jewish Religion, California. And I was the first, I'm the first person I made history in North America by becoming the first Jewish chaplain or uh, ordained and given residency. One, I'm going out to Gastonia, North Carolina to be the first chaplain in that community as a Jew working in the hospital. And two, I became the first Jew in North America to be ordained a chaplain. Wow. And the school that I went to uh, is really the best school for people with uh, learning disabilities and other, uh, you know, mental and emotional challenges that want to serve as clergy. And I want to give them a, a, you know, a shameless plug, which is the Academy for Jewish Religion, California. And they are a uh, progressive denominational school. And I came in there and they had never heard of disabilities until I came in. And I was able in four years to change the culture. Uh, because of me, four other students came with disabilities. The school got more than $100,000 in funding. And I changed the way the teachers teach. And I changed the way that the school understands other kinds of Jews. And I had a discussion with the head of the school. And he quoted um, a Hasidic, uh, an ultra-Orthodox rabbi called the Kutzker Rebbe, and the Kutzker Rebbe lived in uh, Poland during World War II and pre-World War II, and he survived uh, the camps, the Nazi death camps, and in his writings, he says, any way is a way if we make it a way, and that is one of the best teachings that I believe that Judaism offers me and offers anybody who's willing to embrace a Jewish and uh, observant life, which is you might not do it the way that it's normally done, but who or what defines when or what is normal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We define that for ourselves. Yeah. And completely agree. And I think it's really powerful that you, that you were the, the, the person with the disability that changed the culture there. And you started those conversations. And I think it takes, all it takes is one person to start that conversation and to teach people. And then look how, look how quickly you went from, you're going to be a grocery bagger and there's nothing wrong with that. If you're a grocery bagger, it's totally fine. But look how quickly you went from going to be a grocery bagger to like, this is my calling. That's pretty cool. This is my calling. I can now tell you, like I said, I have uh, two degrees. I'm about to get a certification. I'm about to get rabbinically ordained in four years. Um, I drive a car, I, you know, uh, have an apartment that I rent. I am, you know, in the process in religious circles in getting married. Um, I'm going to have a family, um, you know, so there's nothing that I couldn't do. And there's nothing that, uh, and anybody that's suffering right now, anybody that's been labeled and told that they can't achieve, 
Um, you know, my email address is Jonah Sanderson 2 J O N A H S A N D E R S O N 2 at AOL.com. And I'd love to talk to you. And my um, phone number is 818 336 4751. I would love to sit down. And part of what rabbis and chaplains do is we counsel people. And I would love to sit down and talk to you to help you find your destiny. Wow, that was a, that was a super good sales pitch. I like that. Um, do you do you feel like in the work you do, do you disclose your person with a disability to people? Do you is it something I you do all the time? Um, because that's part of our story. And you know, I think that if we don't tell our story well and humorously, um, then we won't have stories to tell because life is all about the stories that we tell, and life is also about the choices that we make. And uh, there is a a question that I would ask you, which is, do you, have you ever heard of the Jewish watch prayer, the Shema? I have not. Okay. So the Shema is something that we say all of the time. We actually say the Shema morning and after and in the evening. And the prayer is hero Israel. God is one. There is one God. And in the blessings before the Shema in our daily prayers, we actually read that God creates re and renews creation on a daily basis. And that's the best and the most beautiful piece of Torah that I think we can find. That every day we have a chance to be renewed and to renew others. And that is my credo and that I live by. That's fantastic. Tell me, so let's go into a little bit more of the work you do. Um, tell me a little bit about the work in, in suicide prevention and the things you do. So in 2018, um, there was a man in Los Angeles, his name was Ben Beasy, and he took his life by suicide. He was 31 and a friend of mine, and he actually died in his parents' home, and they found him in the bedroom next to theirs. And I got to understand, and I became more aware of the fact that Jews suffer, right? Jews suffer, Black people suffer, white people suffer, Muslims, Asians, we're all suffering. You know, about 40 million Americans uh, have depression, right? And about 46,000 Americans in 2018 in North America took their lives by suicide, right? And when we say that this is so, what we're really saying is we need to find a new way to take people in. Because I can tell you that Torah changed my life. I can tell you that, you know, observant Judaism and the Sabbath and the kosher dietary laws elevated and changed my soul. But if we're depressed, if we're suffering from a mental illness, which is suicide and depression, then we were not able to connect to God and we're not able to connect to the people around us. And I started in his memory, in Ben's memory, back engaged now. And back engaged now became and has become a three-year process and a phenomenon in the uh, Jewish community across North America and even in the Holy Land of Israel. We've reached 5,000 Jews in three years on podcasts and on social media and in magazines and in writing and on the news. And we also do panels of experts talking about suicide prevention in the Jewish community in temples and in houses of worship. We host uh, young professional single spot dinners we do a lot of LGBTQ outreach. And we also uh, do direct suicide prevention where I'm engaging with people and people are engaging with me and other clinicians, psychologists, 
who are directly impacted by depression, chronic and severe. And we found that that is the best way to live because the Torah tells us, and the, my, one of my mentors who's passed away was a man named Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson. And Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson was the, is known as the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe says that every chance we get, we have to tip the world on the scale of goodness and kindness. And so if we do that, we bring the Messiah, we bring world redemption. And so we can't do that if we don't talk about the people that are suffering from mental illness. Yeah, I agreed. Now, um, what did I, I had, I had a, oh yeah. So when you talk about suicide prevention with these individuals, when you do this outreach, do you ever encounter somebody with, with other disabilities that might be feeling, having some suicidality that you counsel? I do. I think that what happens when we label people with disabilities, we say your life is only as good as this, this label is going to you know, have your life to be. Yeah. It's allow you to be. And the truth of the matter is that's where suicide comes in because they feel hopeless. And they say, well, you know, if I can't escape this wheelchair, if I can't escape this intellectual disability, then what point is there for me to be alive? What good am I? Right. Not even to God, because most people don't know, what, you know, who God is. Yeah. Right. Uh, they think God is a boogeyman in the sky that, you know, uh, gives, you know, uh, sends down decrees and punishes, you know, and that's just not what that is. That, that yeah. un- But they also think about themselves. My family doesn't want me. You know, if I can't do this, if I can't perform right to anybody's expectations, then I don't know if I want to be here. And so I think that it's harder to reach the disabled community Um than it is to reach the, 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 the typical community. But it's more rewarding because when we have and we serve people that have been labeled in life and they can go and make lives for themselves above anybody else's, anybody else's expectations, we actually do a good uh, thing for God. I think that's, I think, you know, I think I, 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 enjoy your connection to your to the judaism i enjoy how i enjoy for you how much it's seems to bring to your life and i'm I'm really happy that that you know being that you're able to use your 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 experiences as a disabled person sorry person with a disability to (laughs) it's a fourth habit sorry person with a disability to um to do this kind of work and to do what you're doing and I think it's really great. And I'm really excited to, I'm, I want to go back to you, you know, when you were in the, when you were in the school and you were the one trailblazing all this stuff, what kind of conversations did you have to change the narrative there? Sure. So I had conversations with the deans and the professors to say, you know, if, I, if, if the way that I learn is actually through oral talking, right? Verbal talking, the oral skills, right? Not as much as the written, not as much of the written skills. And the way that I write is the way that I speak, right? So yeah. if I learn that way, then I'm not the only one other people do too. And if I learn that way, you know, it's time for the professors to actually not teach to just one type of teacher or one type of student, excuse me, and to teach to every student in the class. And that's harder for many people because I 
sit with people that are Israeli and, 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 you know, I sit with people that are in their seventies and eighties and they have taught one way for most of their life. And what I would say is that they need to, and they have actually taught in a different way. And if we find people that aren't, then they're of no use to the system. Right. So we have to, um, you know, pray that they change, but also advocate and get new teachers, better teachers in there. Because as much as our elders can teach us, younger people need to get out there and teach the elders. We need some people with disabilities who are teachers to go in there and also teach. So Right. That's what I've said to people in the community is what we don't have is role models, right? Many gay men would tell you they didn't have role models growing up, right? They didn't understand what was happening to their bodies and who they loved and why that was okay to love another man. Yeah. And in that same vein, we don't have, as people with, you know, as people that have disabilities and special needs, we don't have role models. We had to become our own role model. Yeah, we really did. And we really do. And it's, I fully agree with that. I, this was such an awesome conversation. I had one last question that popped in my head that I didn't write down. Um, What advice, actually two, two that I was thinking of. How do you think we make Judaism more accessible to disabled people? Do you have any tips and ideas for that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, That's my entire life. Um, You know, as a chaplain and as somebody becoming a rabbi, that's my entire life. Um, And... I I believe that we have to talk about our disabilities and we have to call them abilities. And I believe that we have to get out there and educate positively, not negatively. And we have to point to Torah texts that actually back up our narrative. And again, that's the Beit Salem Elohim text. That's every human in God's image. And the Talmud actually tells a beautiful story of a rabbi suffering from depression and a fellow rabbi lifting him out from the muck and the mud and saying, a person, a prisoner can't free himself from prison. He needs somebody else, right? He needs a fellow haber, a fellow friend. And even if that prison is non-existent, it's existent in the minds of the depressed, of the suicidal person, right? Yeah. So we get down there in the muck and the mud and say, you are loved, you are worth it. You can do anything you want to do. And the world was created for you to become an actor on your own soundstage. And hopefully if you have, if you have disabilities, there's access for you to get on that stage because so many times there isn't. Um, And I'm really, I'm glad for you. And I'm glad for you that you were able to, to, to transform, you're going to be a bag, a bag boy for the rest of your life into this. And I think it's really great that you've done that. Um, My last, my other question was, what advice would you give to other people with disabilities who are Jewish out there right now who are listening, who just want some advice from another person with a disability who's Jewish out there? Um, I would tell them what I would have told my younger self, which is that it's okay to live in the gray. People with special needs need to be okay with living in the gray because life is not black and white. Life is actually very fluid. And um, we as human beings, men and women are not comfortable with the uh, with anything that's not binary, yeah. right? And we need to be more comfortable with that, right? We need to not be able to take our phone into the bathroom or going to the bathroom to sit there and look at the news, right? We need to just be able to go to the bathroom. We need to be able to eat dinner as families, 
we have the Sabbath. That's every Friday and Saturday for 25 hours, Andrew. And what we really need to do is turn off electricity and just connect and talk, right? And we need to be okay doing that. And that helps elevate lives and elevates souls. And the Hebrew for soul is neshama. And uh, that means really that we're all a soul and a body, but when we die, we lose the body, but we keep the soul. So if we become more elevated and soulful, people with special needs will understand that they are just as much of a part of the community as somebody without, more so actually. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned a second ago about the need to get off our phones and turn off turn off electricity. And I understand that from a spiritual level. I understand that from like, I understand what you're saying, but so many people with disabilities might need to use electricity to, to you know, access the world. How do you think we can do that, but also maintain accessibility? Well, I think that, again, I wouldn't say, and I, I would never say that somebody you know, that they need to turn off their electricity, that's their life force, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, we are becoming more dependent day after day on Facebook and on social media, and we rely on what others think of us. And, you know, even if we light candles, I would encourage every Jew to light candles on the Sabbath and to bring out the challah, the braided bread, and to make the blessing over the bread, right? And even if you do that and you go watch a movie afterwards, you're doing more than somebody else would do. Yeah. And the, the Talmud says that if every Jew kept Sabbath in their own way, right, then we would bring the Messiah. We would have a better world. And I strongly believe that. Um, you know, so I wouldn't say to somebody, don't do something you need to do. But I would encourage somebody to do something they wouldn't normally do. Now, you mentioned about, you know, lighting the candles of the Sabbath. And I think that's important. And I, I think it is. But I'm also thinking from... For me, with my level of disabilities, the idea of lighting a candle is super dangerous because what if I have a spasm and like then 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 I throw I throw like fire around the room. So is there a way to do that? Like if I if I couldn't light the candle, could I still say the prayer? Yes. And the prayer for the candle lighting is Baruch Ata Adonai. Melech HaOlam, Asher, Kitchanu, Mitzvotad, Vetzivanu, Lihadlik Ner, Shel, Shabbat. So if, if a disabled person listening wants, wants to recognize that and wants to do it and they don't light the candle, it, it doesn't diminish the prayer, right? doesn't diminish the prayer at all. And actually, you can light um, electric candles. Oh, yeah. I never thought about that. That's right. That, that, that is, you're right. Um, I really enjoyed this 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 journey down journey into Judaism because again, like I said, I'm Jewish from a from a cultural perspective. We never really practiced when I was growing up. Um, you know, we would go to Pesah and we would go to 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 Hanukkah dinners at my grandmother's house and stuff. But it really it wasn't something that we ever really practiced. I remember I remember when I was. 10 or 11, I tried to learn Hebrew and it, I, I got kind of far, but then I also, it was, I remember it being really hard for me to, because again, I have processing issues. So I remember it being really hard for me to pay attention to do all that, but 
I remember when I did it, I really liked it. And I really was really kind of in tune with that part of myself. That's an amazing part to be in tune of. And I, and this was amazing. And I thank you for your time. And this is, you know, we're going to bring the Messiah and we're going to, you know, we're going to change the world with goodness and kindness. Um, you know, as the Lubavitcher Rebbe, again, uh, the Rebbe of Chabad says so beautiful, said so beautifully before he died that every Jew has a spark of godliness within them. And all it takes is somebody like you, Andrew, to light that spark. And I hope that you continue to do this. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I love the work that you're doing. And I love that you, I really appreciate that you've embraced Judaism as much as you have, because it's something that I wish that I had kept up on when I was younger. It's never too late. Maybe it's something that I'll, go, that I'll look into again. I, I really haven't given it some thought, but maybe now I will. Um, and maybe I'll find ways to incorporate my disability into all the things. So lovely. Um, but this is such a, this is such a great, I love sitting down with you. How, again, tell us again how the people listening, if they want to be in touch with you, particularly those of us with disabilities who are Jewish, who might want to reach out to you. How do they do that? Sure. So my email address is J-O-N-A-H-S-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N, the number two at AOL.com. And my phone number for people, if you were experiencing thoughts of suicidality or are having or or you are depressed and want to speak or you just want to talk uh, and make a new friend um my number is 818-336-4751 amazing i'll make sure that that those are in the show notes i might keep your phone number out of the show notes just so the people you know give them my email My phone number, yeah, we're living in a world where we don't need that, actually. Yeah, well, I'll put the, I'll, I'll leave your phone number in the podcast, but I, I'll leave it out of the show notes so that people can just call you yeah. up randomly. Um, but Okay, if they want to call me and give me free, you know, Bruce Springsteen tickets or anything like that, I'll take I it. mean, hey, if anybody, hey, can somebody give me free Bruce Springsteen tickets? I'm there for right. that. Um, but Jonah, this, is, this was so great and so fun, and thank you again for your time. And um, we'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you so much. Be well. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, friends. That's another episode of Disability After Dark from me, your disabled daddy, Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow my work, you can follow me on social media, on Instagram and Twitter at AndrewGerza underscore, or you can follow my website, www.andrewgerza.com to find out more about what I do. And of course, you can follow us on Patreon to get the show one day early and completely ad-free by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark, or you can send us an email to disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com and let us know your ideas for an episode, for a minisode, or for a guest spot. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back to shine a bright light on your disabled stories next time. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Drew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020-2021